What's up, traders? And thank you for tuning in to the Futures Radio Show podcast. Welcome to Q3. And today, our guest to kick off the third quarter is Katie Stockton, a CMT and renowned expert in technical analysis and a pivotal force behind Fair League Strategies. In today's episode, we will unpack Katie's unique approach to the markets and explore the services offered by Fair League Strategies, hoping to provide you, our listeners, with valuable insights that you can implement in your own trading strategies. Today's podcast is sponsored by TradeStation. If you're a serious futures trader and you want a powerful platform to match your skills, enjoy flexibility and trading power with TradeStation's award-winning platform. Learn more at tradestation.com slash Anthony. Also on tradestation.com slash Anthony, you will see a code to get 50% off the lifetime of your commissions. So if you're looking to save a few bucks on your fees, go to tradestation.com slash Anthony. Katie, welcome back to the show. Great to be back. Great to have you back. I love having you here at the beginning of Q3. Let's face it, it's been a really strong bull market year, although most people really probably don't want to admit that. You've really been on top of that, though. I follow a lot of your stuff and you've been, I would say, really on top of what's been happening in the major indices so far this year. In May, we saw a very important breakout in both the S&P 500 and NASDAQ 100. And those breakouts have seen such impressive upside follow through and a testament to the momentum uh, that has been a real force this year. So the breakouts to us acted as a catalyst. It helped foster the upside follow through, but also very importantly, it helped foster additional breath. Breath means market participation. So what was a very narrow and notoriously narrow market up until about May then gave way to something that was a bit more spread out. And I think that's been welcomed by investors because it makes stock picking a little bit easier. You don't have to just own NVIDIA and put all your eggs in that basket, but rather you can actually find some great technical setups and some good companies to take advantage of right now. Yeah, first it's NVIDIA, now it's Tesla. I saw Tesla Tesla gapped up at the right here at the beginning of Q3. I know they had some news on that. Before we get into the charts, and we will get into the charts, everybody, today, let's start off with discussing your approach to technical analysis. I would describe it as top-down in orientation, meaning that we start with the major indices. So when we're focused on U.S. equities, we're starting with the S&P 500, and then we're also evaluating what we consider to be like macro technicals, anything that influences equities that can include crude oil prices, the dollar, gold, treasury yields, things of that nature. We're always evaluating those things first. And then we're letting that inform our bias as we go down the spectrum, down to the individual stock level. And also we start long-term. So we're first looking at the monthly bar chart for a long-term bias. And then we're drilling down to the shorter term timeframes using weekly bars and daily bars. Even on our morning note, we have 60 minute bars that we're sharing there as well. So we can get a more narrow focus in our short term work. And all of that taken together fits into our methodology. So with our methodology, we start with trend following indicators. And we're very oriented to the indicators, meaning that we're using mathematical gauges to measure trends and their momentum and whether or not they're overextended by some measures. So we'll start with the primary trends as dictated by our trend flow gauges, things like the MACD indicator, 
moving averages of price. We use something called the cloud model, which is quite helpful. And then we're using that with the overbought oversold metrics. So stochastic oscillator, the mark indicators, if you notice, Anthony. And we're, of course, taking that within the context of support and resistance levels, which are super important in terms of understanding the risk reward profile of any given setup or for the market more broadly speaking. When you have a breakout, you need to have a way to discern upside potential for that breakout. And that's how we get that is from a resistance level. And at the same time, we need to identify support to know where we can best play to stop loss at what level at which we need to start managing risk. Yeah, I love that about your technical analysis. You guys talk about where you're wrong. Boy, that's a crazy idea, right? And we're wrong just as much as the next person. But what we're trying to do with our charts and with our research is to try to stay on the right side of prevailing trends and to know when the weight of the evidence is against us. That information can be invaluable in trading just to know when you're fighting something, whether it's an overbought sell signal or a breakdown something of that nature. I think we're just trying to put more probabilities in our favor. And with that, we can get some projections that we feel are somewhat reliable. And yeah, we always have that kind of breaking point where things change and we don't argue against that. It's almost like math. We're just acting as reporters on something. So if it changes, we'll change with it if we have to. I think it's so important for the traders listening to this episode today. I know that we have so many day traders out there, but why I love doing episodes like this with Katie is because she talks about that top-down approach. If you don't understand what's happening in the big picture, then really that will impact your day trading because the big picture always supersedes the short term and understanding the big primary direction of the market has always been one of the most important parts of my success as a day trader even more so than your day trading strategy because you know which side to be on more aggressively or less aggressive. Mm -hmm. course, for yeah, for sure. No, that, that's true. And uh, when I worked for Tom Dorsey way back when, he said one time to me that 70% of the move in a stock is the market and the sector. And I don't know that we can quantify that exactly, but certainly it is important, right? You have that influence and it does go down to that 60-minute bar chart even where if you have say, a bearish bias, and you're taking every peak and trying to sell into that, well, that's going to be a much more difficult uh, scenario for you if it's a strong uptrend like we've seen this year. Yeah, and actually, the 60 minutes is actually my, one of my favorite time frames to, to chart on. Next, I want to talk about is leveraging your Wall Street experience. You've had an extensive career on Wall Street. How do you utilize ex experience in guiding your research? And more importantly, what do you see happening potentially in Q3 of this year? I haven't had the unique perspective of having worked both on what we call the buy side, which would be an asset manager, and also on the sell side, which would be a research provider to those asset managers and others. So I have that in the seat as a trader. I can't say I was the best trader, but <laughs> technical analysis is one thing and certainly can enhance your trading. But I do think to be a trader, you have to have a certain personality, which I was not very strong with. But to have that perspective, to know what is important and what is required to be successful in markets comes from partly that buy side experience. So we have that perspective of knowing what our end user and is in need of, right? We have that, that way to understand what the end client needs the most in terms of levels or biases or 
ideas to the, it helps us service our current client base. Now our client base runs from the individual all the way up to the large asset manager. So we are not just servicing institutional clients, but we also have individuals. So that's been somewhat of a learning curve for me, quite honestly. So now I'm getting to know what, say, as an example, a retired individual who is trading their own account might need something that's quite different, as you could imagine, versus a long, short equity TM. So really, it's been, I guess, good, diverse experience from my time on Wall Street. And also just really watching the charts and letting my methodology develop over the course of the 20 plus years that I was on Wall Street. I had the pleasure of working under some really fantastic people who became my mentors and often became really the source of my methodology as it looks today. And I think that I chose different tools from them, my mentors, that then combined into something that I felt comfortable with. So it's a real sort of benefit to have had that experience working for some very good technical analysts. Yeah, absolutely. My experience on the trading floor and just my experience just in the industry has helped me so much when I actually sit down and understand just the overall climate of what's happening in the marketplace. I feel that gives you a, sometimes maybe a little bit different perspective at the way that you look at the charts because you know what's going on as a theme outside of the charts. Do you maybe, does it sway your bias one way or the other? Or when it comes to the charts, that's it. It's all about the technical. Yeah, I and mean, I would say I'm a bit of a purist, but what it has influenced is my process, I think, where one of the first things that I do when I sit down at my desk is I have this monitor of hundreds of tickers that I deem important to my process. So part of it is to go through those tickers one by one on my chart template. So I'll have them automatically load as a bit of a scroll. And it's looking at those charts because that's what I used to do to prepare for our morning meeting. And now I'm preparing for something different, right? Which is writing our morning research and of course just offering the research that we published throughout the week. But that process is something that developed as a preparatory thing for our morning calls. And it, I think that in doing that, if you have time to do that as a trader or investor, it doesn't have to be once a day, but maybe once a week or once a month if you're very long-term to have that process of just looking at a lot of charts. That's where I think you really get a good feel for the market. And there is some feel to it, right? You can say as much as we're purely technical analysts, we can see a setup that we've seen before, or we can see cross assets, things like in dollar yen that set up a certain way that has an influence on things. So there's that full, complete view of all the input, I think it's really value add. And to the extent that people can take that extra time out of their day and do that, I think it's a great exercise. Yeah. Experience matters, Katie. Experience matters. I want to get to one final thing before we get to the charts today. I want to understand a little bit more about fair lead strategies. And let's talk about that. Can you elaborate on how your strategies are different and what makes your analysis at Fairlead Strategies special. Thanks for asking. So I, I founded Fairlead Strategies in 2018. And I think what makes it unique and special is in part the methodology and the tools that I use, which some are quite common, others are quite differentiated. The cloud model that I mentioned for one is something that you don't see a lot of research about. The DeMarc indicators, I use them in a pretty unique fashion that people tend to come to me for. So there are those actual specific tools that differentiate the research product. 
but we're differentiated also in that we're independent. So we're not affiliated with a broker dealer. So therein our research is coming from a very unbiased perspective. We're not supporting any company. We're just saying it as we see it. So very unbiased research. At times we'll probably get a little bit married to a view, but not for long. Something changes, I'd say we're quite dynamic in how we approach markets. So that dynamic approach and the focus on the multiple time frames, I think people tend to come to us for. We have at Fairlead Strategies, we consider ourselves an independent research provider and now also an asset manager in that we launched an ETF called the Fairlead Tactical Sector ETF last year. Uh, it's ticker is TAC or T-A-C-K for that. So we now have a product that allows our client base to invest in the same way that we follow the chart on the sector front. So that's been a unique sort of different line of business that we've gotten into, but our primary foundational business is producing research as a subscription. And we, when we founded Fairly, we wanted to bring it to individuals as well. So that was something I couldn't do on Wall Street and now I can do. And I knew that there was an appetite for technical analysis reasonably. So we priced it at a low price point. We have various sort of tiers and subscription services, some of which are really essentially a newsletter. Uh, all the way up to very high-touch project work that we'll do on a daily basis. So we have consulting arrangements within that context. And we publish, I believe it's six different research reports, of which most are weekly. We do have a daily report, and then we have quarterly calls, of which we have some slides today that we can share from that. Awesome. Now, I love how you started off with saying unbiased research. It's so important. And like I said, I love your research. And speaking of it, let's take Thank a look. Let's go to the charts. I think this is a good one where you have it, which is the long-term view of the S&P 500 with that cloud model. So if you see the shaded area on the chart, that's our cloud. It's also known as Ichimoku. And it's a great way to understand what the prevailing trend is from a long-term perspective on this monthly chart. And you can see that I was pointing higher really from about 2010 through recent history. Uh, but now, of course, if you look, it projects out into 2024 and 25 as a flat range-bound environment. And that's what we fear that we've gotten ourselves into is that the secular bull trend off of the 2009 low has now given way to what is potentially a big, wide, long-term trading range. And within that context, we're forced to become a bit more intermediate term in our focus, meaning we're trying to take advantage of the moves that last month, not years. And with that, we can, of course, consult our indicators, which largely point higher. You can see on the middle window there, there's a stochastic oscillator pointing higher still. And that's seeing the bottom window that's turning up. So all of that does support upside follow through within what could be a big wide trading range. Quick question on this chart that we're looking at here right now. Why do you like the slow stochastics, the MACD and the cloud? Why are these your indicators of choice? Yeah, and as I mentioned, I picked them up from my mentors along the way. And what I've found is that taken together, they can give you this sort of complete picture. That's actually the design of the cloud is to give you a one look at the prevailing trend and then also at times support and resistance. So we'll look at the cloud on the monthly, the weekly, the daily simultaneously to try to understand those prevailing sort of trends and levels. And the reason we like the MACD is because it's a very sort of simplistic momentum or trend following gauge. 
but it also has this signal line that allows for crossover. So you see the red and the blue line. When they cross over, that's when you have, we call it a buy or a sell signal. We like indicators that have that binary takeaway. Is it positive or negative? Is it deteriorating or improving? And then that they can give us that kind of takeaway. It's very clear and just isolates the prevailing trends over the various time frames. We combine that with the stochastics, also with the DeMarc indicators to understand if that momentum may be somewhat short-lived. So if you have an overbought downturn, not just an overbought, but an overbought downturn, that's when we tend to say, okay, momentum should start falling off here enough to make it enough of a reason to reduce exposure. So we'll use them in combination. In a trading range environment, the stochastics can be really helpful, maybe a little bit less so in a trending environment. You can even just see at the history of this chart here, how at times it'll just wiggle around and that's when it's less helpful. It's when you have this oversold upturn that you can get a lot of value out of it. And then the MACD theoretically is a bit better in a trending environment and a little bit less so in a range bound environment, depending on what time frame you're looking at. I love how you explain this because I think where so many traders make mistakes is they have redundant indicators. If indicators that are doing the same thing on the chart, and we know how many indicators there are out there. And a lot of times people will look for a certain type of indicator and it'll end, and then they'll find another indicator that's very similar and they can get these mixed signals. What you're yeah. talking about here, it, you talked about getting the whole picture. And I think that's so important when you're looking at charts. I agree. And I think it's a matter of what you're giving the most weight to is whether you're right or wrong or some degree of that, right? It's not the indicators that themselves that ever fail you because they're just math. They're telling you what things are right now. So it's more in how you combine them that you come at with a good takeaway or a less than good takeaway. So we spend a lot of time trying to understand what kind of environment we're in, and then we can weight the indicators appropriately. Our advice to traders is usually to have only one or two indicators that fit into three categories, trend measure momentum, the overbought oversold condition, and relative strength. So within those three categories, to maybe max out at two indicators each, that could be six, which is more than enough to try to understand a market. Yeah. So what do you want to look at next? Okay, let's pull up. I'll show you on the weekly version of the same. This is the S&P 500 with the weekly cloud, which you can see was surmounted. So this is the breakout that I mentioned in May above the cloud. And you can see that it yielded what we call a measured move projection of about 4510. So that's our near-term objective for the S&P 500. It doesn't mean it has to stop there. It's a natural place for a pullback to develop. But we reconcile this with what we're seeing on a long-term basis to come up with a takeaway. So our bias right now is bullish, but we are somewhat non-committal, I think is the way to put that. The NASDAQ 100 or the triple Qs here, you can see have really outperformed. So we'll use ratios. You can see there the triple Qs versus the S&P 500. And you'll see the uptrend showing relative outperformance. It doesn't mean that we have an action item there, but it certainly tells us what has happened this year and gives us that information to use. So this is an order of top down. We'll look at the S&P, we'll look at the NASDAQ, we'll look at the Russell 2000 using this IWM ETF. And this one is interesting because it, it sends a message. And it's a bit of a contrarian or out of consensus message, in my opinion. 
notice on the ratio in the bottom window there, there's the DeMarc indicators. And that's when you see 13 that you tend to have indications of turnaround. So we have this 13, which is on the buy side for the ratio of IWM to the S&P 500. And what it tells us is that we should see IWM after its underperformance here today actually turn the corner in relative strength terms. And what that would probably mean is that we see breadth or participation improve further. Because if you think about the Russell 2000, it of course has nearly 2,000 stocks, whereas the S&P 500 has 500 it. And with that expansion, just being more small caps, of course, that would be broader participation. So that's kind of an interesting contrarian takeaway that we're getting from the DeMarc indicators. And it tells us that IWM should follow the S&P 500 above that cloud resistance. I'm curious, what are your thoughts about the year like we're seeing so far where we have divergence? They're all up. All the indices are up, but you have the NASDAQ up the most 30 plus percent, S&P 15%. I don't know what the Dow and the Russell are. I know that they're single digit percentages. In your experience, we talked about experience, Katie. What happens in markets like this where you don't have the indices? I don't want to say not working together because they are all going up, but they're not going up in an equal amount. We have this divergence. Mm -hmm. What have you seen following a couple quarters of what you've seen so far? Yeah, and we do think it has shifted. You're seeing that in the ratio that you see here with that little upturn. So as much as we saw two quarters of it, or really the first half for 2023, it we don't see it as predictive. We just see it as a reflection of what has been happening, which of course has been a very difficult taste for most people because of the concentration in the mega caps, which in a way were being looked at as safe havens, despite being growthy and technology oriented. So we, we had this narrow tape and to us, that's not necessarily a bad thing uh, in terms of the forward looking trends, right? We don't see that as a foreshadowing of something bearish, just a reflection on an environment that's been really difficult, right? So in an environment that probably needs breath to improve in order to sustain, right? So it, it's not something you can sustain indefinitely. Of course, it's not going to be and narrow tape forever. Yeah. But what we also see is when breath improves, not only can that add to a little sustainability of a trend, but again, it makes it an easier tape to take advantage of where you can take positions in stocks that otherwise were out of favor and then range bound of which if you look at, at the market from a bottom-up perspective, it's only in the past few weeks that we've gotten a lot of breakouts. Right. And the breakouts are something that tend to see additional follow through just from a momentum perspective. So we welcome the improved breath. If we didn't see breath improve, not only would it remain a, a difficult tape, but you're probably right to death that it's not as sustainable as an uptrend that has breath. But before a consulting the needed breath gauges were signs of exhaustion, we would always see momentum falling. So rather than saying, okay, breath is doing, this is where we're going to reposition that we call that like a market internal measure and market internal measures, we almost treat as tertiary. So we'll start with our support and resistance levels. We'll go to all of our technical indicators and then we'll consult the market internal to add color and a backdrop for the market. 
but it's usually the momentum gauges that will give much more weight to. So even if it's a narrow uptrend and it has strong momentum, then we'll just divert that momentum. Yeah, thank you for explaining that because I think for index traders, this has not been the easiest year because when we don't see follow through in the Dow or the Russell, or we see a lot of divergence days where you'll have NASDAQ up and Dow down or Russell down. You get a lot of choppiness within the tape. And so the tape for us as day traders, it's, it like rhymes higher and you don't really know it, it's like breaking out in this slow kind of motion where you see weakness in other parts of the market and you're like, you almost can't help, but you get to resistance and take it short and the market just stalls. It makes the environment unique, different for obviously different from what we've had the last couple of years. Yeah, it definitely does. And we've seen that in the intraday chart too. What we like to adhere to on intraday charts is a little bit different than what we're using typically and what you're seeing here on the weekly IWM chart. We'll use less indicators, but we'll use the mark indicators intraday, especially in that 60-minute bar chart, which we also prefer. Because when you see a demark signal, it's giving you a sense of trend exhaustion. And you can see days without any kind of demark signal. So we like to have those on our side. Or at least say, okay, well, if it's at a strong trend, we don't want to see countering signals. And so we adhere to those quite a bit intraday. And then also levels. If you take, we always use the S&P futures because they're actually traded as opposed to the index itself. So we'll take the futures and we'll make sure, <laughs> I'm sure that resonates with you. We'll use the, the levels intraday. And it's remarkable how reliable these levels will be. And we're traditional in how we're pulling them. We're not pulling them from the cloud model typically because intraday that would have less validity in my opinion, but rather looking at former peaks and troughs and Fibonacci retracement levels, that can be really added value for intraday work. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned the charting of the S&P futures because especially for day traders, you have the choice between SPY, you have the choice between, actually it's nice. It's not just SPY and S&P futures. There's multiple different kinds of S&P futures. There's minis, micros, you've got, you got SPY and other leveraged products all pinned to the S&P, but the S&P futures is the focal point. And we used to talk about this a little bit in the pit. We used to be like, oh, we're the center of the universe. And obviously that was a little, a bit of area. <laughs> the point of it is, is that's where the big game is being played. And so when you're, especially when, if you're looking at volume indicators, or I guess maybe you could even touch base on other indicators that matter a lot more when you're using intraday volume. Yeah, definitely. We're, and we're not big on volume in our work. I should say it's something that to us had a lot of validity when we started in the business back in the late 90s. But now it, it feels like there's so many influences on volume, whether it's ETFs or derivative strategies, that makes it almost less important. It's not to say in certain specific situation that can provide good information, but we've gotten away from it quite a bit in our work and really just focused in on price and what you see here, which is relative strength. So we're using a lot of price to price ratios to try to understand not only what the absolute trends are, but where can we source our performance? And you can see on this one that growth has certainly turned the corner since last year relative to value. So that's been a theme that we've been on board with. We feel that it's somewhat natural for growth to be exhibiting leadership in a stronger tape. And you've seen that accelerate certainly since the breakouts in May. We're spending a lot of time on these ratios 
which can give us a sense of where we want to put our money to work. This is interesting here too. I want to share this because we publish this in our daily report. It shows you an aggregated view of the market internal. So those same things like breath, sentiment, leadership, and volume, which we're looking at in aggregate on the exchanges. And what we do every day, rather than honing in on one individual breath metric, as an example, we will take a lot of measures like you see listed here. And we're trying to decide if, well, do we have a collection of them at an extreme, whether overbought or oversold? And it's when you see three, four, five measures flashing red or green in our work that we have something, an environment that's less conducive, right? So it, it changes the backdrop to some degree. So in August of 22, as an example, we had more red than we had seen in quite some time, meaning that we had an overbought indication. So this diversified view of the market internal measures we found has been really helpful in avoiding almost like concentration risk on the indicator front, because we, in 2008, we were like super focused on the put call ratios as one. And what was extreme became more extreme. <laughs> so like so many people, we saw those extremes get more extreme in 2008 and we learned a lesson from that. And it was that early sort of swoon in 2008 that I said, something's changing here. But what made me feel more comfortable in using the market internals after that sort of issue in early 2008 was just doing the combination of them to know that, okay, we have several metrics that are sending the same message that can be more powerful and more reliable. You mentioned the put call ratios. Everybody's talking about these zero DTEs right now. Even for stocks, they're adding daily expirations. How much into your work are you looking at, if at all, the impact of zero DTE? I, I'm not. I, I kind of trust that there's always going to be changes in market structure like that and going from fractions to pennies is this one example, right? So how did that change my work? It really didn't. And as long as something doesn't impact the price trend, which we are already smoothing out regardless, typically using moving averages, to have an impact greater that great enough to impact that would be pretty surprising to me. Where it would, of course, it'd be more impactful would be something like the volume readings, right? The volume, maybe a couple of the market internal measures would be affected by it too. But if we have the aggregate view like we do here, it should manage through that a little bit. And, and then we can press the reset button in a way on what our extreme levels are that are on our radar. So once in a while, we'll go through and look back at the charts that are, you know, behind these market internal measures, and we'll make sure that we feel like our current extremes are at the correct level. As an example, the volatility index or VIX, we had to just reset our lower bar and from what was about 15 to now 11, because we feel like we moved from a high volatility regime to a lower volatility regime. So we're very adaptive, I would say, and not at all set in stone with the metrics that we're using. Do you have any charts or any information maybe you could show us on the VIX? Yeah, the VIX chart, this is the weekly bar. And you can almost see the cycles. You can see when it's elevated, right, between the spikes that are higher, right? And now, of course, we've seen a couple of breakdowns in the VIX. Initially, it was below like 18 and a half support. Now we have a subsequent breakdown below about 15 and a half. And that puts the next support around 11. 
And so that's where there's a new floor or new threshold for what we would consider to be a more complacent environment. As the complacency indicates that sentiment is not conducive to that trend anymore. It doesn't mean we sell fixed reading of 11, we just keep an eye on. And if it impacts the momentum behind the market, then we'll react. But to have that information, which we take as really just a sentiment input, a transactional sentiment input, which is help, helpful to us, we'll put it in our arsenal of market internals and just know that the environment's getting less conducive to a certain trend. Yeah, thank you for sharing this. Uh, anything else catch your eye that we as traders or investors should be looking at heading into Q3? There, there's obviously a lot of things to watch. One thing I would say is, of course, treasury yields. They've been highly impactful to markets. And what we've seen in 10-year yields in particular is what we believe to be a corrective phase within their long-term uptrend. We think the corrective phase should keep hold here, but we don't think it's going to last indefinitely because we think that we've actually seen a secular shift. So if you go back to this monthly chart, look at this major reversal that occurred. So that major reversal tells us that yield should now, over time, start to make higher lows. And I guess that can be perceived a couple ways as a sort of a drawback, perhaps, for equities, but also an opportunity to have another asset class to invest in. So this, is, I think, is something that folks should be watching very closely. And we know that the Fed is really driving the markets right now. I know that's always the case, but it seems especially prevalent at this time. And when you have that kind of input that's more top-down and macro-oriented, then that top-down work becomes that much more important from a technical perspective. So again, it's the kind of environment in which you really want to have the understanding of yields and the S&P and, and what have you as opposed to what is what is Coca-Cola stock look like? It's more of a top-down versus a bottom-up oriented tape. And I think it largely comes from treasury yields. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. Yeah. You have to be watching what yields are doing because they will have an impact on the prices of the indexes going forward. Katie, it's been a great discussion. Is there anything that we missed that we should talk about before we let you go today? I would say just in terms of the big picture and especially as it pertains to our TAC ETF, that with the potential for the market to get into more of a trading range environment longer term, that we feel like a barbell type of strategy is appropriate in investing. So this doesn't apply necessarily to trading or day trading, but in terms of investing longer term, we feel like there's opportunities in alternative asset classes that include fixed income and it includes gold as well. With the gold position, as much as we've seen a corrective base there, we feel like the prevailing trend is higher for gold. So we like the idea of having equity exposure where there is good momentum. That would be right now technology, communication services, industrial, to name a few. And then also we like to have some fixed income exposure and some gold or precious metals and even other commodities from time to time. Very much a balanced portfolio, if you will, between different asset classes and even different countries. We, we found that globally, the rotation that we saw into emerging markets and developed global, especially Japan versus the U.S. has been intriguing. It's more than what we've seen of late. And I think it, it could be something that we get some follow through in terms of relative performance, especially if we get a weaker dollar again. Thank you so much, Katie, for sharing That's your perspective on everything. It's really been an insightful discussion and really shedding light on what you do at Fairlead Strategies. 
and your approach to the markets for our listeners. If you want to learn more about Fairlead strategies or any topics we discussed today, please check out the resources we've linked in the show notes. They're just down below in the description. As always, if you found this episode valuable, please share with your fellow traders. And don't forget to join us in the next episode of the Futures Radio Show podcast. Katie, it's been a blast. I hope you have a wonderful 4th of July. We're recording this before the 4th of July. And to all of you listeners out there, my fellow Americans, I hope you all have a wonderful 4th of July. And Katie, I, I look forward to having you back on the show again soon. Thanks so much, Anthony. You too. What a great interview today with Katie. Katie is awesome. There's so many takeaways I have from Katie's interview today. First things that go to the top of my head are unbiased and her technical analysis. That's so important, not only for Katie and Fairlead, if you're going to get technical analysis from them, but from you as a trader. What triggered in my mind is how many of us have a hidden bias when we look at a market. We want to be short the S&P or we want to be short the NASDAQ or long crude oil. It doesn't matter. We have a hidden bias. And then when we go to look at the charts, a lot of times that hidden bias will surface and we look for setups that are geared towards that hidden bias. And we're not looking at our chart with an unbiased look. And that's why a lot of times I love going to people like Fairlead, like Katie, because they give us an inside look without any bias. They are going in there and looking at the charts and just telling us what they see. And I think that's extremely important when looking at technical analysis. Other key takeaways are the market breadth, what's going on there. We talked about divergence in the tape between the indexes. And I love how Katie talked about, we don't really know what that means going forward. We just know that's the market that we have. And so they're trading the tape right in front of them. They're charting the tape that is right in front of them. And so I think that's very important because a lot of times, once again, that hidden bias comes into play. Oh, Russell's weak. Dow is weak. Maybe the market and the S&P and NASDAQ is going to get weak based upon that. Or maybe the Dow and the Russell get bullish because of the strength in the S&P and NASDAQ. And that is not always the case, as we've seen a lot this year. I also looked at a lot of what Katie discussed and said what to look into Q3. It, it, look at the sectors. Look at what's driving some of these markets. I think that's so important. And as we look here at TradeStation, I wanted to show you guys something before I let you go. As TradeStation is the sponsor of this show, I do trade actively on TradeStation. And one of my favorite aspects of using the TradeStation platform is the ability to trade stocks, options, futures, options on futures, and even crypto all on one platform, all on one workspace. As you can see here, this is one of my workspaces in TradeStation where I'm looking at a lot of stocks here, but I'll keep up a couple of futures. So if I think that, let's just say Apple or NVIDIA, and maybe we pull up the NVIDIA chart, and that's the market I should be watching. And I just have I just have an order flow VWAP on here right now and some moving averages just to give me some perspective as I'm flipping through these different stocks and to see how they look relative to the futures markets. And what's cool about this is if I want to trade NVIDIA, I just click right here and I have the dome open. Dome's the depth of the market. I trade NVIDIA. If I want to go back and say, oh, I see something happening there and I want to go back to my S&P futures chart, I can go back and I can trade S&P futures. And you could do that all on the same platform. And like I said, options and also options on futures. So to learn more about what TradeStation has, go to tradestation.com slash Anthony. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers.
Also on anthonycredelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Future's radio show is produced by Crudelli Productions.